Hey, this is David and Nicole Binion, pastors of Dwell Church. We're so glad you've joined us and we hope you enjoy today's message. I get the great joy of launching our um, new series, our new theme, sermon theme for the next couple of months. We had, we had um, talked about this going through the end of March, but I, as I was diving into study this week, I was like, I was like, man, I think we could be on this. <laughs> well, we will, we will be, we will continue to to um, learn more and more about Father, Son, Holy Spirit for eternity. So we will forever, um, you know, know Him more. Um, but anyway, I was just had such a beautiful time this week studying. Um, in getting ready to launch this uh, this theme, knowing God. Can you say it with me? Knowing God. Knowing God. When you were playing that old song in the beginning of the service, I was thinking of the song, um, the greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Oh, yeah. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. I want to know you more. I want to know you more. The greatest thing in all my life is knowing you. Anybody else feel that way? Our view of God matters. Can I get an amen? Amen. A.W. Tozer famously wrote that what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. (laughs) Our view of God shapes our view of everything else. Back in um, 1647, there was... um, the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism was written. And um, sometimes when we hear the word catechism or something like that, we think um, of the Roman Catholic Church or something. Catechism is simply um, a, a, a way of teaching Christian doctrine, okay? So, um, so this shorter catechism was written to instruct children in the Christian faith, and it answered this question, What is God? And the answer was this. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, Jeremiah said this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Have you ever thought about the fact that the, I mean, 
may we forever be in awe of this, that God, Jehovah, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about the Trinity tonight, um, has made himself known to us. We only can know him because he has made himself known to us. My goodness, what is man that you are mindful of him? May we never lose our awe of that. In John chapter 17, verse three, Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. The apostle Paul said in Philippians chapter three, verse eight, I love this. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. <laughs> Paul had a lot of accolades, if you didn't know. He was um, of the tribe of Benjamin. He was, um, you know, as learned as one could be before he um, quite literally fell off his horse when he, saw, when he saw the Lord, when he was on his way to crucify Christians and had an encounter with Jesus. Um, but all of the accolades, all of um, you know, the, the, the wisdom, everything that he knew, he counted as loss compared to knowing Christ. We often talk more about what we have given up or the cross that we carry we talk about that more than the joy of knowing Christ. I don't even think we truly know him if we focus more on what we have surrendered or laid down <laughs> as compared to knowing him. I can guarantee you when you truly know him, you realize that everything I ever had to surrender, every dream I ever laid on the altar, anything I had to, um, that the Lord required of me, it's nothing compared to the joy of knowing him. So it is not enough to know about God, but we want to know God. God reveals himself to us through what is called general revelation. You've may, you may have heard this term, but we can... Um, that general revelation is seen in God's creation all around us. I can see God in the sunrise. I can see him in the sunset. A few weeks ago, we were um, at a church conference in Las Vegas, Nevada, and out my hotel window, I could see the beautiful mountains um, in, in Las Vegas, and I could see the majesty of God in the mountains. That's called general revelation. Oh, the majesty of God that we can see all around us. This is why Paul could say in Romans chapter one, starting at verse 18, because of general revelation, what God has revealed um, in the world around us. This is why Paul could say this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. Paul goes on to say, so they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking 
and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is general revelation. The culture, people around us can see God, can know God in a general sense through what he has created. So we know him through general revelation, but I can also know him through special revelation. Through special revelation, we see the hope of salvation. Special revelation um, is God's word. This beautiful word right here. I always, I have it on my, I have my scriptures on my laptop, but I like to keep this close. God's word and Jesus himself is, is special revelation. Through the pages of scripture, God reveals himself to us. Every word Every word points to who he is and points to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The word of God reveals the heart of God. Amen? So we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and the God who runs it. But the question is what do I intend to do with the knowledge of God once I have it? As the Apostle Paul told the conceited Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Our knowledge of God must lead to prayer and praise to God. I was looking back at our little graphic. Look at our knowing God graphic. It's awesome. Okay. You see the mountains? Those are the mountains I saw in in, uh, Las Vegas. Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Our aim in studying God must be to know him better and to love him more. So we are looking to acquaint ourselves with not only the doctrine of God's attributes, but with him, with the living God himself, not just to know more about him, but to know him in a greater way. He is the subject of our study He is our helper in it, and he himself must be the end of it. In studying God, we want to be led to God. We want to know what pleases him, what offends him, what makes him angry, and what brings him joy. In um, his classic book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer, um, I, I... I've had this book on my bedside for months, and as we got into this study um, in these last couple of weeks, I really began to dive into it. It's called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. I highly recommend it. It is not an easy read, but it is a profound read. But he says there are a few basic truths Christians should have about the knowledge of God. Y'all wanna hear them? Okay, number one, God has spoken to man through his word the Bible, to make us wise unto salvation. Number two, God is Lord and King over his world. He rules all things for his own glory, displaying his perfections in all that he does in order that men and angels may worship and adore him. Number three, God is Savior Active in sovereign love through the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue believers from the power of sin. Anybody been rescued from the power of sin? And to adopt them as his children. 
And number four, this is the one I'm going to kind of park on tonight. God is triune. There are within the Godhead three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the work of salvation is one in which all three act together. The Father purposing redemption, the Son securing it, and the Spirit applying it. Oh, I want to say that again. God is triune. There are within the Godhead three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the work of salvation is one in which all three act together. The Father purposing redemption, the Son securing it, and the Spirit applying it. So as we begin this theme of knowing God, we're going to start with the question, what is the nature of God? And over the coming weeks, we will dive into the attributes of God. Holiness is one of them, as, as Sherry just mentioned. Um, but tonight, I'm going to focus on God is Trinity. The author of that book I mentioned, J.I. Packer, the book Knowing God, I'm going to say it like multiple times. It's the title of our, of our you know, series and. And I'm just going to keep saying, you should get the book. Um, He says this, the most excellent study for expanding the soul is the science of Christ and him crucified and the knowledge of the Godhead in the glorious Trinity. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of deity. Woo! Not only does the study of God expand our soul, enlarge our intellect, and humble us, but it also consoles us. I'm reading a lot of quotes I tend to do that. You know, I start, I start studying and digging in, and I'm like, but this is so good. I have to tell them this. Um, but this is a Charles Spurgeon quote. Um, if, you, you, if you don't, I think probably most of you know, Charles Spurgeon lived in the 1800s, and um, he was about 20 years old, actually, when he said this. Um, incredible preacher and pastor. But he said, I actually wept when I read this this week. And I I said, David, you've got to hear this. In contemplating Christ, there is a balm for every wound. In musing on the Father, there is a quietus for every grief. And in the influence of the Holy Ghost, there is a balsam for every sore. (laughs) Would you lose your sorrow? Would you drown your cares? Then go, plunge yourself in the Godhead's deepest sea. Be lost in his immensity. And you shall come forth as from a couch of rest refreshed and invigorated. 
I know nothing which can so comfort the soul, so calm the swelling billows of sorrow and grief, so speak peace to the winds of trial as a devout musing upon the subject of the Godhead. We think our problems are so big sometimes. And it just reveals how little we know about who God is, his immensity. God is Trinity. Without Trinity, God ceases to be God. It is a, it's a great mystery. And it's kind of a, a tall order to be teaching on. But it's good for us to contemplate. The word Trinity is not in the Bible but obviously the concept is there. We see a beautiful picture of the Trinity um, in Matthew chapter three, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the beautiful baptism of Jesus. So although we see the Trinity more clearly in the New Testament, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are also present in the Old Testament. Of course, you know this. God didn't like just suddenly have a son and decide to send him to the earth. Um, you know, actually this was, um, you know, it's good for us to know church history because I find that I love us, but we're kind of dumb sometimes. <laughs> and so back in 325 AD, there was uh, what was called the Nicene Council and the church fathers came together because there was a heresy. Uh, How many Dwell School of Ministry students in the house tonight? Yeah, so we talked about the creeds at, at DSM a few weeks ago. Um, so there was... Um, there was an Arian heresy which denied that Christ was truly God, but rather that he was a created being. So what would happen when these heresies would creep into the church, there would be a council of the church fathers and they would establish doctrine. They would say, this is heresy and this is truth. And so it's important that we know that. So at, at the... Um, the council, the Nicene Council, the Nicene Creed was established that basically said there is, God is Trinity. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Son um, is not a created being. He was begotten of the Father. That's an important word when talking about the Trinity. The Son was begotten of the Father. He was not created. Um, He is God. And um, so 
Anyway, enough of church history. Okay, right here. Um, so I love, this, I love this quote that I heard this week. A scholar once said that the Old Testament is like a room that is richly furnished, but dimly lit. So as we're looking for the Trinity in the Old Testament, we see that the light of the New Testament shines you know, back on the Old Testament. We go, oh, yes. We see the Trinity. We see that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in creation. We see it you know, in different places in the Old Testament, but then, of course, in the New Testament, it's so clear. So, I've got three statements about the Trinity here. Y'all ready? These are short, so you can write them down if you choose. Number one, God is three persons. Let's say that together. God is three persons. Number two, each person is fully God. Let's say it together. Each person is fully God. Number three, there is one God. There is one God. This isn't polytheism. There, you know, this is one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons of the Trinity are one in essence, nature, purpose, and agreement. They are co-eternal, co-equal, co-God. They are the same essence, but they have different functions. I love it uh, broken down like this. The Father is the first among equals. The Father is the one, the sending one. The Father sends the Son. And then the Father um, sends the Spirit. The Father and Son send the Spirit. Um, but you know, in, in the book of Isaiah, uh, God said, I, in the, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. And so that was prophesied of what would happen in the book of Acts. Um, but the Father is, is the one who has sent the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, we're gonna, I'm going to talk about five things that would not be possible if God was not Trinity. Five things that would not be possible if God was not Trinity. Okay, you ready? The first one is Creation. We're going to look at scripture, and we're going to see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in creation. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, we see Jesus' role in creation. The head, the, the, when you look in your Bible, at least in the ESV, uh, the, the um, subtitle for this section of scripture is the preeminence of Christ. He says, he is the image of the invisible God. He's speaking of the Son here. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Oh, I love that. It doesn't that just take the pressure off. Yeah. He holds it all together. Yes, yes. 
We see in Psalm 104, verse 30, we see a holy, the Holy Spirit's role in creation. The psalmist said, when you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. We're also gonna look at Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. We see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. We see, the, we see the Father, we see God the Creator, we see the Spirit of God, which is the Holy Spirit. So where is Jesus in that, that scripture I just read? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Um, did you know that John kicks off his gospel with this? In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So when we see the word of God establishing, creating, we see John telling us, that word, it was the second person of the Trinity. It was the Son of God. So we see the Trinity involved in creation. The second thing that wouldn't be possible without the Trinity. You ready? Yes. Are you ready? Yes. Incarnation, the incarnation. The incarnation. Okay, Luke chapter 1, verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. We see all three members of the Trinity, all three persons of the Trinity involved in the incarnation. Okay, the third thing that's not possible without the Trinity is the atonement of our sins. Without the Trinity, then someone please tell me. Jesus, who is the sacrifice, doesn't have anyone to offer the sacrifice to. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, the writer says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So we see Trinity involved in the atonement of our sins. The fourth thing that's not possible without God being Trinity is the resurrection Acts 2.32 says, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. But then in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said this, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. 
No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus involved in his own resurrection. (laughs) In Romans 8 verse 11, if the spirit of him... (laughs) who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Oh, you remember that song? The same power, the same power that crushed the enemy. The same power, the same power, the same power lives in me. The spirit of God, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. I love it when you sing, babe. You do. You love it when I sing. (laughs) Okay. All three members of the Trinity are responsible for the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. The fifth thing. I'm, I'm, nearing, I'm nearing an end. You might just make it home for, for Usher performing in the halftime show. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you can. I don't care. It doesn't matter. When the senior pastor is also playing keys for the night, you know, he, maybe Joel can come up on the acoustic. That would be nice. Um, in a moment, it's fine. But the fifth thing that wouldn't be possible without the Trinity. Without the Trinity, God cannot be love. The Trinity is eternally preexistent. And an eternally preexistent relationship that is indivisible but also individual. God the Father perfectly loves God the Son. God the Son perfectly loves God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit perfectly loves God the Son. God the Holy Spirit perfectly loves God the Father. The Godhead is eternally pouring out their love for one another. Because of this relationship of the Trinity, God doesn't create humans because he needs something from us. He doesn't create humans because he's lonely. He doesn't create humans because he needs servants. He creates us out of the overflow of his love. That's why he's not afraid of rejection and can offer us free will, options, choices. He tests us, and by testing us, he risks our rejection. But God is not insecure. (laughs) He's not afraid of human rejection. 
because love has been pre-existing in the Trinity. We are the overflow of that love. So as we dive into the question, what is the nature of God? Now you can come, babe, or Joel. As we dive into this question, what is the nature of God? We see that first, it is vitally important to, un- to first understand that God is Trinity. God is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, it's a mystery. Each person is fully God. There is one God. In the weeks to come, we will be diving into um, more attributes of God's nature and God's character. I want to know him in a greater way. I want to love him better. (laughs) I hope you also want to know him in a greater way. You know, we will never exhaust all there is to learn about him. We will spend eternity discovering more of who he is. We were singing holy, holy. We know that's the song going on around the throne. With each revolution, I've heard, a friend of ours wrote a song a long time ago, and it said, as the angels, each revolution around the throne, they see another facet of who he is. So we will spend eternity seeing more facets of who he is. The more we know him, the more we will love him. The more we seek him, the more we will find him because he has sought, loved, and known us first. The God who was independent, who is self-sufficient, self-existent, decided to create us out of his love. And when the first man and woman messed things up in the Garden of Eden, he said, ah, I've already, I've already made a way. And we know that before Jesus showed up on the scene in the book of Matthew, as we flip over from the Old Testament to the New, we know that long ago, the Father had already made preparations. We know that the Lamb of God was slain before the foundation of the world. God is eternal. He is infinite. He never. He didn't have a date of birth, and he will never have a, a, a death date. He is not a created being. Can our minds even comprehend it? But he made a way to reconcile us back to himself, that we could worship him, that we could know him, that we could have life everlasting with him. Tanner, I'm going to ask you to come up and close. But just as Paul said in Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to go back to it. We said this 
I used this verse in the beginning. I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna read the whole thing. But may we say like Paul, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.